Welcome to this episode of Sunday Reprise, where we bring the church to you and deliver nothing but the truth. Brought to you by Maranatha Family Church International Ministries in Davao City, Philippines. We hope this message will bless you. Let's go. I want to share with you um, a quick message out of Matthew. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to go grab your Bible wherever you are. If you need to put this video on pause, uh, I would love for you guys to be able to read it um, because it is red letters. And so red letters in the Bible normally refer to when Jesus is speaking. And all the Bible is important. All of God's Word is inspired. But the red letters, you know, when Jesus says something, um, I really want to pay attention. And so this morning, um, in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5, Matthew 5 through 7 is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And some people think it may have been given on the Mount of Beatitudes. Um, some people think that it's just a summary of all of Christ's teachings. But I do think regardless, when Matthew sits down and is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the book of Matthew, the first red letters of Jesus that he speaks are Matthew 5 through 7. And Jesus gives this summary of his teaching. And at that point, um, up until you know, um, these people heard this message. It had been 400 years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament that Jesus came and he spoke. There was this, there was a time, a season of silence. And so Jesus, take God, takes on humanity. And so for the, what is that, 4,000 years from, from Adam all the way till Jesus was born approximately, um, Jesus um, you see him speaking and doing things on the earth, but he comes face to face with humanity and he begins to teach people about his kingdom, about what it means to live as a Christian. And Matthew 5 through 7, if you, if you haven't read it, um, or even if you have, I say read it again and re then read it again. Memorize portions of it because Jesus totally flipped the way religion and Judaism um, at that time, he flipped what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And everyone thought that if you obey these rules or if you live a holy life or a godly life, here's what it looks like. And Jesus completely, not that he doesn't, it, the Bible says that he came to fulfill the law, but he begins to speak on deeper levels than what people were used to. And so you have this surface level of what I'm going to say Christianity even today, where we go to church, we read our Bible, we pray, or we do religious things. And in the U.S. and in the Philippines, we know that there are pockets of Christianity where people just go through the motions, and I'm guilty of that myself many times, of just going through the motions. But Jesus, when he begins to speak, he begins to speak on a deeper level, and he goes from the outward obedience directly to the heart. And when you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, next time you read it, I just want you to begin to really focus on what Jesus is saying on the inside, what it means to have the character um, to, to have the character and the, the heart of a Christian. And so in this message, Jesus begins to challenge our view of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And he dips into Old Testament law and he takes all these passages that are quoted over and over. And he begins to show, well, here's man's attempt to obey the law, but here's what really the heart of the message is. And so when I tell my kids to do something, or let's say, let me just back up for a second. Let's say I tell my children, right, 
to do a chore, maybe wash the dishes. And they go in and uh, 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 and they wash the dishes and they're slamming dishes around and they rinse them off and they put them on the dryer and they're throwing a big fit the whole time they do it because they don't want to do their chores, right? They did the dishes, right? And that's that's what we what you told us to do. Not that they would ever have that attitude, right? But we're like that sometimes. We did what God told us to do, but yet our attitude and our heart doesn't reflect the character of Christ. And and man, I've been so guilty so many times, and I'm sure you have too. But I want to dive a little bit deeper into this passage today because because Jesus really sets a new standard for us and new characteristics. And it's not really anything new. But it is something that as he begins to talk to the believers of that day, that he begins to give a greater understanding of what it means to live in truth. So this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And I do want to read, this is Matthew 5, 1 through 12. So grab your Bibles, um, hard copy or digital. I like my hard copy for this. But um, it says, this is out of the ESV, Matthew 5. It says, seeing the crowds, he, Jesus... He went, uh, he went up on the mountains. That's why they call it the Sermon on the Mount. He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And so Jesus begins to teach, and it says, And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, And then now he begins the red letters. Here's what he says. He says, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The fourth one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus begins this summary of what it means to be a Christian with what we call the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, it just simply means the blessings. Or we could say another, um, another way to rephrase this would be exceedingly joyful and satisfied, right? Or to be happy, to be envy, not happiness as in an earthly happiness where the feelings come up and down, but to be joyful, right? And so full of joy are those who live like this. Blessed and all the way full, whole blessing are those who follow Christ in this way. And Jesus begins to, to isn't, that, isn't that amazing? That for 4,000 years, Jesus is waiting to give his message to, to the church, right? To those who will follow him. And he, the beginning, he says, blessed are those. If you want to live a life of blessing, if you want to live a life of fulfillment, here's what it means. If you want to live a life being approved by God, here it is what it means. So the first one, what I want to do this morning for you is I don't want to, I just want to scratch the surface on all of these characteristics. There's a lot of them. And I could take the first one and we could do a whole message, right? And we could do messages, plural, over all these things. But as I dive into this, I want what I want you to do is I'm, I'm going to scratch the surface. We're going to talk about each one. But I want you to either pause the video and take one by one, or I want you to listen to all of them. And then after the video, I want you to take some time 
to really reread and go through each one and say, okay, God, what are you saying to me? What are you telling me? What on the inside do I need to fix, to repair, to be encouraged with, whatever that is, to apply that to my life? Because these truly are the heart of Christianity, the heart of what it means to follow God. So the first one is this, blessed are the poor in spirit. It doesn't mean poor as in money or riches, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Being poor in spirit is this aspect that in my life I remind myself often, Lord, I am nothing without you. Lord, I have nothing to offer you of substance. In and of myself, the Bible says that my righteousness, my very best, is like filthy rags. In other words, there's nothing great about me in and of myself in an earthly standpoint if I'm going to try to get to God. No one can work their way to God. Because in, it says the Bible, there's no one righteous, not even one. So I remind myself, blessed are those who are completely and utterly helpless and dependent upon God. Right? It's almost like a little infant who is completely dependent upon their parents. That is how we are to live with a childlike faith. God, I can't do this. Even though, right, maybe um, I've done something over and over and over. Maybe I know the Bible back and forth. But do you know what? Just because I have a knowledge of the Bible, or I've led worship, or I've led someone to Christ, or I go to church and I pray, right? Just because I do those things, right? I have to remind myself that I need to decrease so Christ in me can increase. I need to crucify my flesh and decrease, right? The say the amount that my flesh has say over my choices, and I'd allow the and allow the Spirit to make choices. Right, that maybe um, I wouldn't make it myself, and I'm allow my spirit inside of me, the God part inside of me, to connect with Him on a deeper level. But it's not based on me, right? And so when I think of someone who is poor in spirit, I think of someone who is powerful, right? But they're powerful because they're dependent and they're surrendered to Christ. And in other words, um, I'm spiritually bankrupt in and of myself. I have nothing to give to God. Uh, but as He gives to me, I begin to give back to Him. And I begin to worship Him because He's worthy, not because I'm good. Right? And so, being poor in spirit is the first characteristic that all of us have to have. And so, what's the opposite of being poor in spirit? Right? Not being rich in spirit, probably not uh, the best way to describe it. But what I'm going to just say is this. Pride. Self-reliance. Thinking that I can do everything myself. Right, And so I become self-sufficient. And honestly, it's easy to become self-sufficient because we have done things over and over. And I just, it's like I'm on autopilot. I automatically do things and I forget to pray. I forget to rely on God and I just do it. Right, I have relationships that I just dive into because I've done it before. Or I have certain things and characteristics that I just do and then maybe afterwards I get it messes up and I ask God to to help fix it, the problem, but I never go to God first. And so it's this reminding ourselves to go to God first over and over and that Lord I need you. Lord I need you. Lord, I really need you today. And even though I think in my brain that I can do it myself, Lord, I know that I can't do it myself. And so, Lord, I need you. And so it says that blessed are the poor in spirit. And then what's the result? 
for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And so I don't, that's a, that's a big thing. What does it mean that the kingdom of heaven is yours, right? And so first, I just want to scratch the surface. Pastor Armin can dive in deeper if he wants, but I'm going to scratch the surface. If you have a kingdom, you have to have something. You have to have someone, right? You have to have a king. So the kingdom of God, right, has a king. Our Lord Jesus, right? God the Father. He is king over this kingdom of heaven. And so, a kingdom of heaven, right, is when God's rule or His reign comes to earth, right? And so, He begins to, Jesus Christ begins to rule the earth. The kingdom of heaven is in me, and I begin to live out the life that Christ and the rulership and how God wants things to be done, I begin to live that out on a daily basis. That means the blessings and the advantages that flow from living under the rule and the authority of Christ now belong to me. And I begin to experience God and His rule and His reign and how He works and functions. I begin to experience it in my life. Right? And so it's different than the world, the way the world works. The kingdom of God is backwards to many people. But I began to live that out and experience the way that God designed life, right? The way that God designed me to function on this earth. And so as the kingdom of heaven comes down to earth, that's what we want. We want we want heaven to be like earth, or excuse me, earth to be like heaven, right? We don't want heaven to be like earth. We want earth, the kingdom of God, we want heaven to touch earth. Right? And so that's what we want. So blessed are those who are, who are poor. So if we want God's rule on this earth, the first thing I have to do is say, Lord, I completely surrender. I'm helpless. I'm not self-sufficient anymore. I need you. It sounds simple, but we need to start every day like that. Man, Lord, I need you today. Right? So that's the first one. The second one, I'm going to go a little bit quicker now through the rest of these. The second one, blessed are those who mourn. Right? And so what is it talking about? Blessed are those who mourn. And so... Um, when you mourn, we're not just talking about if you lose somebody, um, let's say somebody dies and, uh, and moves on to eternity. Um, there are times that we mourn. But this goes even at a deeper level than that. Blessed are those who mourn. Some translations say blessed are those who mourn for their sin. Right? And so um, it is this, this, be this blessing or beatitude is the person who comes face to face with their own sin. And blessed are those who were truly sorry, who mourn, who grieve over their own sin in their life. They're brokenhearted because of my sin toward God. Not just that I'm being caught, right? It's not that I'm caught into sin. It's because that I've hurt the heart of God. And I've done the wrong thing. And I come face to face with my own sin, right? And I see, oh, that is evil, right? That is wicked. And Lord, I, how did I do that? Right? How did that happen to me? I realized how dirty and how evil that sin is in my life and how deep that sin is. And there's a brokenness that happens inside of me. Right? And so I, I come to God and I confess it and I repent. And there's a work in my heart. I never want to do that again. Lord, I want your presence. Don't take your presence from me. We want you. And I begin to mourn. And the Bible, the result of mourning over our own sin and not ignoring it. Sometimes we want to ignore it. We push it aside or we make excuses. But I'm not going to make excuses. It's not anyone's fault that I sinned. It's my fault. Right? Guys, it's not anyone's fault. I mean, it's not the girl's fault. Right? If she wears a, a bathing suit. Right? That maybe is a little bit um, not modest. Right? Ladies, it's not the guy's fault. 
right, for for manipulating you and your emotions or doing whatever that is. It's easy to blame somebody else or my circumstances. Maybe it's because of a hurt in your past or someone abused me. And so that's just the way I am. I'm not going to make excuses anymore. I'm going to take responsibility for my own sin and I'm going to mourn that. And I'm going to grieve that. And I'm going to ask God to forgive me and confess that sin to Him. And the result is this. It's fascinating. What does it say? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Right? Not just, I mean, when someone dies, right, the family comes around and there's a wake and everyone, you know, can come and give you a hug and comfort you. Right? And a lot of times we need that comfort in those moments. But when we sin and we repent... There's something happen there's something spiritual that happens that Christ comes and he forgives that God forgives and he comforts us. In other words, he forgives our sins and all of a sudden there's this peace that rushes over me and I'm comforted because I've been forgiven of my sin. Right? And there's something very powerful and spiritual about experiencing God's forgiveness. And some of us when we mourn, right? We mourn um, and we never really truly experience forgiveness of God. We don't allow Him to comfort us. But can I assure you, when He forgives you, the Bible says He separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. Never going to touch again. He's never going to bring it up again. He's forgiven. And I want to encourage you to go a next level because sometimes I'm the hardest on myself when I sin. And I, you need to choose to forgive yourself. And when you forgive yourself, a lot of times you'll find that God has already forgiven you, and then you forgive yourself. Okay, I'm going to move on, and there's a peace that comes in. So I want to encourage you, find that comfort in God's forgiveness. The third one, blessed are those who are meek. And what's a meek person like? And you hear this, that meekness is like strength under control. It's like a horse that has a bridle. And the horse is powerful, but yet it is strength and power, but it's under control. Right? And that's what a meek person, meekness is not weakness. Right? And so a meek person understands who they are in relation to other people. I'm surrendered to God. I'm teachable. Right? I have this power that's under control. And I'm humble. Right? And so I don't have to force things to happen. Right? Someone who always is trying to force things over and over and over. I'm not waiting on God. I just want to make things happen is not meek. Meek people learn how to wait on God. They learn how to trust in God. They know that their power doesn't come in their own strength, but their power comes from Christ. And so the result of this, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Isn't that fascinating? So that's backwards to me. You would think that a meek person who stands back and waits and tries to hear the voice of the Lord, someone else is going to rush in and they're going to get uh, they're gonna they're gonna get the get the deal done or they're gonna get promotions or they're gonna get people on their side because they're forcing stuff to happen, which isn't the way the world works. You don't ever have to brag on yourself for how good you are. Just be who you are. Allow other people to maybe talk and brag about you. That's fine. But you don't ever have to brag about yourself because I want to be that person who's humble, who allows God to work in my life and do things so many times we miss God or we don't allow God to work in our life because we're doing everything. Sometimes we just need to sit and listen to the voice of God and allow Him to speak. And so when I when I do that, the Bible says that I inherit the earth. Now, that's an, in, an interesting concept because when I inherit something, usually that means someone before me has 
given me something. Right, So if I inherit, um, let's say my parents, um, if they move on and they pass down their house right, to me or an inheritance, it means they have gone before me and they have given me something. Now the Bible promises that God's going to allow us to inherit the earth. That means that God gives us the earth. I don't have to take the earth. I am a, God gives it to us. And we see miracles happen that way. We see that God gives us what we what we need. He provides for us, and I inherit the earth. So I want to challenge you today. Maybe you're the person who is kind of impatient, who tries to force things to happen, and you pray. And before God answers the prayer, you're trying to trying to fix the problems. But blessed are the meek. I'm going to be strong in in prayer, but I'm going to be under control. I'm only going to move when God tells me to move, and when He tells me to move, I'm going to go. Right? But I'm going to wait on God, I'm going to get His direction, and then God is going to give me the earth. He's going to give me what I need. Right, It's not by force, but He's going to take care of me and, and work in those situations. Okay, The fourth one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Sometimes Some translations say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, Right, for what is right. And so when you think of someone who's hungry or someone who's thirsty, there is this intense passion, intense desire to meet that need. So if I'm hungry, my stomach growls, and all I can think about is my hunger, right? If I'm thirsty, my tongue is dry, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, right? I need a drink. That's all I can think about. It's what drives me, right? And so if you're thirsty, you just want some water or you want something to quench your thirst. And so blessed are those who hunger, have this intense desire, this passion for what is right. In other words, I'm going to desire God more than anything else, right? There is this craving, this strong desire that's stirring in my heart that I just want God, right? I want to see God work. And so the need for God, if you have a chance, go read Psalm 63, right? It talks that David's, he's, he's writing down a, a prayer to God about how he hungers and thirsts. And it's, it's passionate. It's intense. And so go read that on your own. We don't have time today, but put your finger in your Bible and, and take it to do that later, right? But our need for God, you are more important than life. You're more important than everything else. And so blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when you do, here's the result. It says, you will be satisfied. Another translation says, you will be filled. In other words, finally, what I've been desiring my whole life, and I'm trying to fill it with other things, earthly things, right? Through friendships, through relationships, right? Through jobs and promotions, through money, through things, through, you know, stuff. Sometimes that is through alcohol or, or other, other things that kind of numb that desire that's inside of me. But there's a great desire inside of me to be filled. And when I fill that with what I'm going to say lesser things, even good things, Right? If I feel, if, if my spouse becomes more important than God and I feel my heart and my desires with my spouse, there is this something inside of me that is lacking. And I think the problem is my spouse. Right? And my problem is my wife isn't good enough or my husband isn't good enough. Right? And they're not meeting my needs. But really, deep down, that person is never meant, is never meant to meet all of our needs. Who is meant to meet all of our needs? Only Christ. Right? The Holy Spirit fills us up. God fills us up so much that finally we're satisfied. And true satisfaction only comes from those who seek and thirst after Him. And that's hard. How do I become passionate about 
God. Right? And so all these Beatitudes, God gives us these, these things. He gives us these blessings. And what happens when we, um, when we realign with the way we're supposed to live, but he doesn't tell us how. And I want to say, how do we do that? Right? Do we pray more? Do we go to church more? Do we read our Bible more? Right? And so how do I cultivate a hunger and thirst for God? And can I just tell you something? That's a question you need to ask God. Don't ask me. Go to God. God, how do I hunger and thirst for you? Right? Because I can try to give you formulas, but what it means is I'm going to connect to God. And where do you begin? Here's where I begin. Lord, today, I'm not hungering and thirsting after you. And I'm just so honest before God. God, I have no desire to follow you today. I have no desire to pray. I have no, no really, I'm kind of drained. Right? I've had those prayers. Lord, I'm kind of burned out. And I'm in a hard place, and I don't got it today. I don't have the energy. I don't have the strength. I, you know I love you, but I just don't got it today. I'm tired, right? So here's my prayer. God, would you cultivate in me? Give me a hunger and thirst for you. That's it. Ask him. Lord, give me a hunger and thirst for you, right? And then I begin to think about it, and he begins to give. And so I ask him, and then I begin to one by one, everything that is lesser in my life, I begin to surrender to God, right? Hobbies, I surrender to God. Right? Relationships. I'm going to surrender to God. Everything else becomes less, so God becomes more in my life. And as I decrease, He increases. And I begin to see that what I pursue, what I look at, what I throw my time and energy into is what I love. And so if you pursue, let's say I pursue um, playing the guitar. And I'm going to play the guitar, and I'm going to watch videos on YouTube, and I'm going to talk to people about how to play the guitar really good. And all I, everything I do, I go look at guitar shops, and I talk to people about what is the best type of wood of a guitar, what strings do I put on, are there alternate tunings, right? Some of you guys have no clue what all these things are, and I don't really either, but, right? I know enough about a guitar, and I just, everything I do, is about a guitar, and I'm gonna pick it up and I'm gonna take it with me everywhere. And on the jeepney, I'm playing the guitar, right? I'm gonna take it with me on my bike, and when I get to wherever I'm going, we're gonna pull out the guitar and we're gonna talk about it and sing with it. And I love playing the guitar. You know what I'm gonna love? I'm gonna love the guitar, right? But if all I'm talking about is the guitar, that is lesser than God. That's a, kind of a silly example, but it's true. We do those things and we pour our time, our effort, our passions, whatever I'm looking at. Whatever I throw my desires into is what is what I end up loving. So if you don't like your spouse today, this is just an example. If I don't really like my spouse today, you know why? It's not your spouse's fault. Learn how to love them again. Because at one point, you loved them. right? At one point, you pursued them, and you were romantic, and you took them on dates, or you wrote them messages. All, you were thinking about your spouse a lot because you were pursuing your spouse. Right? So if the love has grown cold, be romantic yourself. Right? Go pursue that person, your spouse, right? And then you'll begin to love them again. Same way with God. If my love grows cold, how do I get it hot again? I ask God to help me, and then I begin to pursue Him. I begin to interact with Him. I begin to think about Him. I think about what He's done. And I do it over and over and over. And what I pursue, what I put my thoughts into, is what I begin to love. So that's how. We need to hunger and thirst after God. He's it. The fifth one, blessed are the merciful, right? Uh, for they will be shown mercy. So blessed are the merciful. Uh, that's somebody. Mer so there's a difference between, between grace and mercy. 
Grace is a gift that I don't deserve. So let's say that I give something to you just out of the goodness of my heart. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But I want to bless you anyway. That's grace. God gives us salvation through grace. Right? We're grace through faith. So He gives us salvation free of charge. We don't earn it. Now mercy is the opposite side of that coin. Same coin, but grace is on one side, but the other side of that coin is mercy. What I do deserve, right? I deserve death. I deserve to be to have penalties. I deserve, right, for God to judge me. But when God shows mercy, He withholds His judgment. He withholds what I deserve, the punishment I deserve, and instead, right, He allows me to experience grace. His goodness, right? So withholding is merciful. Now, when I show someone mercy, well, first of all, let me back up. When I, if I want to be merciful, I have to experience God's mercy. I see in myself what I deserve, right? I don't deserve life. I don't deserve God. I don't deserve a relationship. But I begin to understand mercy myself. And so above, <clears throat> above what I deserve, right, God blesses me. It's amazing. And then I begin to show others mercy because I have also been shown mercy, right? And some people think this is close to forgiveness. I do too. It's real, they relate. I've been shown forgiveness. I've been shown love. So in turn, I show people forgiveness and I show people love and I show people mercy. So I learn to forgive. I begin to experience confessing my own sins and my own relationship with God. I begin to grapple with that and to wrestle with that. And God shows me that He's not penalizing me, but through Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ, I am free, right? And so He does not penalize me. He does not punish me for what I deserve. And when I do that, um, I begin to release other people, right, from judging them. Now, if someone does something wrong to me in the earthly ways, um, I mean, on earth, I have a right... Right? It's called justice to punish you. You do something to, bad to me, I have a right to do something bad to you. Or, not just to do bad something bad to you, but to penalize you. Right? If you walk across the street and it's not in the crosswalk, they have the police officer, they can write you a ticket for jaywalking. If I'm speeding, I can get a speeding ticket. Right? If I steal, right, there's a consequence for being a thief. <clears throat> that is justice. But as I am not penalized in my own sin, when someone sins against me, even though I have a right to punish them, I'm going to allow them to experience the presence of God. I'm going to, at times, I'm just going to give them, right, mercy. And so as I am shown mercy, I want to extend that forgiveness and grace to other people. So number six, blessed are the pure in heart. This is the next one. Blessed are those who have this inner purity, right? This singleness of mind inside my spirit. The heart is what? It's like those inner, those inner um, thoughts and choices and that inner, inner motives inside of me. As that becomes pure, right, in my heart, my inner being, it says that blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. What a promise, right? And so if there's sin in my life, man, even deep down, I do the right things, but my motive is evil or my attitude is bad. Um, I just want to um, allow God to purify my heart and my motives, right? To burn out those things that have selfish motives. And the result is I begin to see 
God. Now, the Bible says that no one has ever seen God, right? We see glimpses. I mean, even Moses had to cover his face. So, I guess in, 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 in one sense, um, we don't see physically Christ or God, but we do experience Him. And so there's this eternal promise that someday we will see God face to face, right? But today, um, I can experience God through events, through circumstances, through peace in my heart. I begin to see God work on the earth. And I begin to see Him work in my life. And as the holiness and obedience of Christ, as that increases, and I begin to crucify my flesh, I begin to see and experience God in my life more and more. Isn't that a blessing to be able to experience God? It's not just religion on a page. Right? It's not just, just following rules and being a good person and patting yourself on the back that you're good. It is deeper than that. I begin to know God. I begin to experience God. And I begin to see Him work in my life because there's something inside of me. God does not put up. God does not interact. He is a holy God, which means He is set apart and He is pure. And until we accept Christ and His forgiveness and we begin to live a pure life, and we're not perfect, but we confess our sins and we come closer and closer to working through those things. And Christ, our identity is more and more found in Christ, our belonging. We rely on His faith and we allow God to forgive us and wash us clean. The more and more we do that, the more and more we will experience and see God. And so I want to be that. The next one, number seven, blessed are the peacemakers, those who work for peace. Right? There's conflict in life. There is struggles. There's fighting. We all know it. We see it everywhere. But blessed are those who are peace. Now, when I say this, it does not mean, right, a peacemaker does not mean that I ever sacrifice or that I ever lower my standards to accept you accept somebody, right? Some ex- examples of this. Homosexuality, right? Some people fight over that. I'm not going to fight with a homosexual, but I'm never going to agree in their lifestyle. I'm going to love that person, right? And as a peacemaker, it doesn't mean that we agree in their lifestyle. It just simply means that I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to still respect them as a person. I'm not going to agree in their lifestyle, but I'm going to love them. Okay, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to bless them that they would know God. Right? If there's two people fighting, right? Blessed are that person who can come in and who can begin to create peace. Now, what if I'm that person who says, "Please forgive me," and they don't want to forgive? That's their choice. But everything that I can do, I'm going to make sure that I don't have any relationships out there or people out there who if there's some if someone has something against me, I want to go to them. And I want to try to make it right. It doesn't mean that we always can reconcile with them. It just means I'm going to try to pursue peace in my relationships. And so those who work for peace will experience God's blessing. And sometimes there is this cycle, what I call a cycle of hurting. They hurt me, and so I hurt them. Then in turn, they get revenge, and they hurt me, and I hurt them. They hurt me. I hurt them. And it goes over and over and we say things and we do things. And someone has got to stop that cycle and be a peacemaker. And that means I forgive them. I release them to you. And I'm not going to talk anymore. It means that if they say something bad about me, I don't defend myself. I don't have to try to try to prove myself. I'm just going to be quiet and I'm allow God to take care of it. 
and I'm going to be a peacemaker because somebody has to stop the cycle. And that's what God has told us to do, to be a peacemaker. So blessed are the peacemakers, right? <clears throat> For they will be called children of God. What a testimony it is to others. They will be called children of God, not only by God himself, but I believe the world will know that we are children of God when we are peacemakers. Right? They know that our strength comes from Him. So, to be in the family of God, what a blessing. To have an assurance of salvation. That this life is just temporary, but man, I am a child of God. And other people on the earth, they will look at the peacemakers. They will look at those who do things right. Right, who don't always prove, have to prove themselves, but they will see something inside of us that they say, regardless, whether they agree, they agree in what we do or not, but they will look at us and they will say, there's something different about those people. And that difference is that they must be children of God. What a blessing it is to be a peacemaker. And in this world so, full of so many opinions, so much um, division, we get to be people who unite others, not based on the unity of everyone agrees, but we begin to unite with other believers and we begin to walk without hurts and offenses and we forgive people and we love people um, and we cherish people and respect people and there's something special about walking in peace with God. So if you know someone who has something against you, make it right. If they won't make it right, that's okay. Do everything in your power to make it right. If you've done something to hurt somebody else, right, go make it right. Do everything you can to make it right. And maybe that's in the secret place of prayer. And that's where it starts. Sometimes you need to talk to them. Other times, maybe you just need to talk to God about it. But in your heart, set it right. Blessed are the peacemakers. The last one. Blessed are the persecuted. <clears throat> Not persecuted um, for, for reasons... Uh, of just stupidity. Sometimes we're persecuted just because we make dumb choices. But listen to this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing what is right. And so if you live with these first seven, this is the eighth one, if you, you live with these first seven Beatitudes, you're going to be different than what the world is. And the world's going to look at that, and there's going to be opposition Right? There's always opposition from somebody when you follow Christ. And it doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means you look different. You are, you are different. You have a different inheritance. You are a light in darkness. And there's a reaction when light steps into darkness. And so what we want to do is we want to cause a reaction. right? But sometimes that means people talk. Sometimes there's consequences in parts of the world. It may mean you lose your head. Physically lose your head. Right? Um, and I, I love, those people are inspiring to me. And sometimes my persecution is so little and, oh my goodness, someone said something bad about me. And I think of other saints and other people around the world who are losing businesses, losing houses, losing family members, losing their own lives for the sake of the gospel. And can I tell you what a blessing it is to be able to withstand persecution, to find strength that only God can give in those moments that truly the kingdom of God is yours. So that's the result. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for doing what is right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, there it is, just like the first one. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for doing what is right, for you will understand the kingdom of God 
and how He rules and how He reigns. And you'll find strength and power and relationship that you never had before. And sometimes what we need in our lives to motivate us is a little persecution. We need somebody to kind of tear down and talk about our faith and, and challenge us, right? And it refines us and allows us to put, again, our strength in God, to put our trust in God. So, Lord, not that I'm going to pray for persecution, but in, in persecution, when it comes, because I'm living for you, may I find strength and power to overcome. And then I begin to experience how God rules and reigns on this earth. And so it goes on, um, these last couple of verses, 11 and 12, listen to what it says about persecution. I'll read it again. It says, um, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then it goes on, it says, Blessed are you, right, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, because you're a Christian. And then it says this, Rejoice. Rejoice. Be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. We look to our rewards, not the persecution. We look beyond the persecution, and we look for the prize that, that Christ has for us. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's, it's common, right? Even the prophets were persecuted before you. So join in with the church, endure persecution, and allow God to work. So these are eight different Beatitudes, characteristics of Christ. And so I want to encourage you, go one by one. Um, and let me just, I'm going to kind of give a summary, and then I'm going to pray real quick, and then I'm going to allow you guys to apply some of the scripture to your lives. The first one, blessed are those, or exceeding joy comes to those who are spiritually bankrupt right, who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those, number two, who mourn over their own sin and they repent. Number three, blessed are those who submit to God, right? Blessed are those, number, number four, who hunger and thirst after God. Blessed are those who show mercy to others. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Maybe there's sin in our lives and He, he purifies us. Blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are those who endure through persecutions because we can see the rewards for living a godly life. So there's these are characteristics that I'm still working on. I know you are too, but by God's grace, we will continue to overcome and become more like Christ each and every day. So Lord, we just bless Maranatha Family Church and anyone listening to this message. We ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us, would speak to us, that we could apply this truth to our lives and that we can allow you to work allow you to, to move and stir our hearts. So, Lord, even if we just pick one, let, let that be our focus. Or maybe we take one this week and one the next week. But, God, we want to develop character and integrity. We thank you that you're a God who, not looks on, who doesn't look on the outside but looks at our hearts. So, Lord, may our hearts be drawn to you. Give us a hunger and a thirst for you more and more. We love you, God, and together we want to serve you and honor you and watch you work in this earth. In all things, we give you thanks. Amen. That's it for today's episode. Thank you for joining us. Keep in touch with us via Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash mfcdvo or search for Maranatha Family Church Davao on Facebook where we also stream our church service. Again, that's facebook.com slash mfcdvo. We hope to see you there. God bless.